Section 32 of The Morals, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Morals, Volume 2, by Plutarch, translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin of curiosity or an over-busy inquisitiveness into things impertinent part two but how ungrateful it is to mankind to have their evils inquired into appears from hence that some have chosen rather to die than disclose a secret disease to their physician suppose then that herophilus or erastostratus or Aesculapius himself when he was upon earth should have gone about from house to house inquiring whether any there had a fistula in anno or cancer in utero to be cured although such a curiosity as this might in them seem much more tolerable from the charity of their design and the benefit intended by their art yet who would not rebuke the saucy officiousness of that quack who should unsent for thus impudently pry into those privy distempers which the modesty or perhaps the guilt of the patient would blush or abhor to discover though it were for the sake of a cure but those that are of this curious and busy humour cannot forbear searching into these and other ills too that are of a more secret nature and what makes the practice more exceedingly odious and detestable the intent is not to remedy but expose them to the world it is not ill taken if the searchers and officers of the customs do inspect goods openly imported but only when with a design of being vexatious and troublesome they rip up the unsuspected packets of private passengers and yet even this they are by law authorized to do and it is sometimes to their loss if they do not but curious and meddlesome people will be ever inquiring into other men's affairs without leave or commission though it be to the great neglect and damage of their own it is farther observable concerning this sort of men how averse they are to living long in the country as being not able to endure the quiet and calm of a retired solitude but if by chance they take a short ramble to their country house the main of their business there is more to inquire into their neighbors concerns than their own that they may know how other men's fruit trees are blasted the number of cattle they have lost and what a scanty harvest they are like to have and how well their wine keeps with which impertinent remarks having filled their giddy brains the worm wags and away they must to town again now a true-bred rustic if he by chance meet with any news from the city presently turns his head another way and in his blunt language thus reflects upon the impertinence of it one can't at quiet eat nor plough one's lawn so much us country folk they bear in hond with tales which idle rascals blow about how kings and well what then vol in and out but the busy sit hates the country as a dull unfashionable thing and void of mischief and therefore keeps himself to the town that he may be among the crowds that throng the courts exchange and wharfs and pick up all the idle stories here he goes about pumping what news do you hear were not you upon the exchange to-day sir the city's in a very ticklish posture what do you think on it in two or three hours time we may be altogether by the ears 
if he's riding post he will light off his horse and even hug and kiss a fellow that has a story to tell him and stay never so long till he hears it out but if any one upon demand shall answer no news he replies as in a passion what have you been neither at the exchange or market to-day have you not been towards the court lately have you not heard anything from those gentlemen that newly came out of italy it was methinks a good piece of policy among the locrians that if any person coming from abroad but once asked concerning news he was presently confined for his curiosity for as cooks and fishmongers wish for plenty in the commodities they trade with so inquisitive people that deal much in news are ever longing for innovations alterations variety of action or anything that is mischievous and unlucky that they may find store of game for their restless ill nature to hunt and prey upon carondus also did well in prohibiting comedians by law from exposing any citizen upon the stage unless it were for adultery or this malign sort of curiosity and indeed there is a near affinity between these two vices for adultery is nothing else but the curiosity of discovering another man's secret pleasures and the itch of knowing what is hidden and curiosity is as it were a rape and violence committed upon other people's privacies and now as the accumulation of notions in the head usually begets multiplicity of words for which reason pythagoras thought fit to check the too early loquacity of his scholars by imposing on them five years silence for their first admission so the same curiosity that is thus inquisitive to know is no less intemperate in talking too and must needs be as ill-spoken as it is ill-natured and hence it is that curiosity does not only become a restraint to the vices and follies of others but a disappointment also to itself for all mankind are exceeding shy of inquisitive persons no serious business is consulted of where they are and if they chance to surprise men in the negotiation of any affair it is presently laid aside as carefully as the housewife locks up her fish from the cat nor if it be possible to avoid it is anything of moment said or done in their company but whatever is freely permitted to any other people to see hear or talk of is kept as a great secret from persons of this busy impertinent disposition and there is no man but would commit his letters papers and writings to the care of a servant or a stranger rather than to an acquaintance or relation of this busy and blabbing humour by the great command which bellerophon had over his curiosity he resisted the solicitations of a lustful woman and though it were to the hazard of his life abstained from opening the letters wherein he was designed to be the messenger of his own destruction for curiosity and adultery as was intimated before are both vices of incontinence only they are aggravated by a peculiar degree of madness and folly beyond what is found in most other vices of this nature and can there anything be more sottish than for a man to pass by the doors of so many common prostitutes that are ready to seize him in the streets and to beleaguer the lodgings of some coy and recluse female that is far from costly and perhaps far less comely too than a hackney threepenny strumpet but such is plainly the frenzy of curious persons who despising all those things that are of easy access and unenvied enjoyment such as are the divertisements of the theatre the conversation of the ingenious 
and the discourses of the learned, must be breaking open other men's letters, listening at their neighbors' doors, peeping in at their windows, or whispering with their servants, a practice which, as it deserves, is commonly dangerous, but ever extremely base and ignominious. Now to dissuade inquisitive persons, as much as possible, from this sneaking and most despicable humor, it would contribute much, if they would but recollect and review all their past observations. For as Simonides, using at certain times to open two chests he kept by him, found that wherein he put rewards ever full, and the other appointed for thanks always empty. So, if inquisitive persons did but now and then look into their bag of news, they would certainly be ashamed of that vain and foolish curiosity, which, with so much hazard and trouble to themselves, had been gathering together such a confused heap of worthless and loathsome trash. If a man, in reading over the writings of the ancients, should rake together all the dross he could meet with, and collect into one volume all the unfinished scraps of verse in Homer, the incongruous expressions in the tragedians, or those obscenities of smutty Archilochus, for which he was scorned and pointed at, would not such a filthy scavenger of books well deserve the curse of the tragedian? Pox on your taste! Must you, like lice and fleas, be always fed with scabs and nastiness? But without this imprecation, the practice itself becomes its own punishment, in the dishonest and unprofitable drudgery of amassing together such a noisome heap of other men's vices and follies, a treasure much resembling the city of Poneropolis, or rogue town, so called by King Philip, after he had peopled it with a crew of rogues and vagabonds. For curious people do so load their dirty brains with the ribaldry and solecisms of other men's writings, as well as the defects and blemishes of their lives, that there is not the least room left in their heads for one witty, graceful, or ingenious thought. There is a sort of people at Rome who, being unaffected with anything that is beautiful and pretty, either in the works of art or nature, despise the most curious pieces in painting and sculpture, and the fairest boys and girls that are exposed to sale, as not worth their money. Therefore they much frequent the monster market, looking after people of distorted limbs and preternatural shapes, of three eyes and pointed heads, and mongrels where kinds of unlike form off-blended be into one hideous deformity. All which are sights so loathsome, that they themselves would abhor them, were they compelled often to behold them. And if they, who curiously inquire into those vicious deformities and unlucky accidents that may be observed in the lives of other men, would only bind themselves to a frequent recollection of what they had seen and heard, there would be found very little delight or advantage in such ungrateful and melancholy reflections. Now since it is from the use and custom of intermeddling in the affairs of other men, that this perverse practice grows up into such a vicious habit, therefore the best remedy thereof is, that beginning, as it were, at a distance, and with such things as do less excite the itch of our curiosity, we gradually bring ourselves to an utter desuetude of inquiring into, or being concerned at, any of those things that do not pertain unto us. Therefore let men first make trial of themselves, in smaller and less considerable matters. As for the purpose, why should it be thought such a severe piece of self-denial for any man, as he passes by, 
to forbear reading the inscriptions that are upon a monument or gravestone, or the letters that are drawn on walls and signposts, if it were but considered that there is nothing more, either for delight or benefit, to be learned thereby, but that certain people had a desire to preserve the memory of their friends and relations, by engraving their names on brass or marble, or that some impudent quack or rooking tradesman wants money, and knows no other way to draw men to their shop or lodgings, but by decoying billets and the invitation of a show-board, the taking notice of which and such like things may seem for the present harmless, yet there is really a secret mischief wrought by it, while men, suffering their minds to rove so inconsiderately at everything they see, are inured to a foolish curiosity in busying themselves about things impertinent. For as skilful huntsmen do not permit their beagles to fling or change, but lead them forth in couples, that their noses may be kept sharp for their proper game. With scent, most quick of nostrils after kind, the tracks of beasts so wild and chaste to find. So ought persons of an inquisitive temper, to restrain the wanton excursions of their curiosity, and confine it to observations of prudence and sobriety. Thus the lion and eagle, which walk with their claws sheathed to keep them always pointed for their prey, are an example of that discretion which curious persons should imitate, by carefully preserving those noble faculties of wit and understanding, which were made for useful and excellent enquiries, from being dulled and debauched with low and sottish speculations. The second remedy of this curiosity is that we accustom ourselves in passing by not to peep in at other men's doors or windows, for in this case the hand and eye are much alike guilty and Xenocrates said, One may as well go as look into another man's house, because the eye may reach what the hand cannot, and wander where the foot does not come, and besides, it is neither genteel nor civil thus to gaze about. A well-bred person will commonly discover very little that is either meat or delightful to look on, but foul dishes perhaps lying about the floor, or wenches in lazy and immodest postures, and nothing that is decent or in good order but as one said upon this occasion. For aught that's here worth seeing, friend, you may e'en turn your prying look another way. And yet laying aside this consideration of uncomely sights, this very staring and glancing of the eyes, to and fro, implies such a levity of mind, and so great a defect in good manners, as must needs render the practice in itself very clownish and contemptible. When Diogenes observed Diozippus, a victor in the Olympic Games, twisting his neck as he sat in his chariot, that he might take the better view of a fair damsel that came to see the sport. Look, says he, what a worthy gamester goes there, that even a woman can turn him which way she lists. But these busy brain people do so twist and turn themselves to every frivolous show, as if they had acquired a veracity in their heads by a custom of gazing at all things round about them. Now, methinks, it is by no means seemly, that the sense which ought to behave itself as a handmaid to the soul, in doing its errands faithfully, returning speedily, and keeping at home, with submissive and reserved modesty, should be suffered, like a wanton and ungovernable servant, to be gadding abroad from her mistress, and straying about at her pleasure. But this happens according to that of Sophocles. And then the Aeneanians' colts, disdain the bridle and bit, nor will abide the rein. For so the senses, not exercised and well managed, 
will at every turn break loose into wild excursions and hurry reason along with them into the same extravagance it is said of democritus that he voluntarily put out his eyes by the reflection of a burning glass that as by the darkening of windows sometimes done for the same purpose he might not by the allurements of sense be called off from attending to his purely intellectual contemplations although the story be false yet this at least is true that those men who are most addicted to profound speculations do least of all converse with impressions of sense and therefore to prevent that interruption and disturbance which either noise or impertinent visits might be to their philosophical inquiries they place their studies at some distance from cities and call the night euphrony from euphron of good understanding thinking that its quiet and stillness from all disturbances made it the fittest season for meditation farther to forbear mixing with a crowd of fellows that are quarrelling in the market-place or to sit still while the mad rabble are rioting in the streets or at least to get out of hearing of it will not be very difficult to any man that considers how little there is to be gained by intermeddling with busy and unquiet people and how great the certain advantage is of bridling our curiosity and bringing it under subjection to the commands of reason and thus when by this more easy discipline a man hath acquired some power over himself exercises of greater difficulty are to be attempted as for instance to forbear the theatre upon the tempting fame of some new and much applauded play to resist the importunity of a friend that invites thee to a ball an entertainment at the tavern or a concert of music and not to be transported if thou chance at a distance to hear the din of a race-course or the noise at the circus for as socrates advises well that men should abstain from tasting those meats and drinks which by their exquisite pleasantness tempt the palate to exceed the sober measures of thirst and hunger so are all those oblections of the ear and eye to be avoided which are apt to entice men into impertinence or extravagance when araspes had commended the fair panthea to cyrus as a beauty worth his admiration he replied for that very reason i will not see her lest if by thy persuasion i should see her but once she herself might persuade me to see her often and spend more time with her than would be for the advantage of my own affairs so alexander upon like consideration would not trust his eyes in the presence of the beautiful queen of persia but kept himself out of the reach of her charms and treated only with her aged mother but we alas that no opportunity may be lost of doing ourselves all the mischief we can by our curiosity cannot forbear prying into sedans and coaches or gazing at the windows or peeping under the balconies where women are nay we must be staring about from the house-top to spy out all occasions of our ruin and are all the while so sottishly inconsiderate as to apprehend no danger from giving such a boundless license to our wandering eyes now as in point of justice and honesty it conduces much to prevent our defrauding and overreaching other men if we now and then in smaller matters voluntarily abate somewhat of our strict dues and as it is a means to keep men chaste and continent to all other women if they sometimes forbear the lawful enjoyment of their own wives so will these excesses of curiosity be cured by the same restraints if instead of inquiring into what concerns other men 
we can prevail with ourselves so far as to not hear or see all that is done in our own houses nor to listen to everything that may be told concerning ourselves or our private affairs oedipus by his curiosity fell into great mischief for being a parentage to himself unknown and now at corinth where he was a stranger he went about asking questions concerning himself and lighting on laius he slew him and then by the marriage of the queen who was his own mother he obtained the government not contented with the thoughts of being thus happy he must needs once more against all the persuasions of his wife be inquiring concerning himself when meeting with an old man that was privy to the whole contrivance he pressed him earnestly to reveal the secret and when he now began to suspect the worst the old man cried out alas so sad a tale to tell i dread but he burning with impatience of knowing all replied and i to hear it but yet it must be said thus oddly mixed with pain and pleasure is this restless itch of curiosity that like a healing wound will hazard the loss of blood rather than want the seeming ease of being rubbed and scratched but such as either by good nature or good discipline are free from this disease and have experienced the invaluable felicity of a calm and undisturbed spirit will rather rejoice in being ignorant than desire to be informed of the wickedness and the miseries that are in the world and will sit down well satisfied in this opinion how sage and wise art thou oblivion wherefore as a farther help to check the impatience of our curiosity it will contribute much to practice such acts of abstinence as these if a letter be brought thee lay it aside for some time before thou read it and do not as many do eagerly fall upon the seal with tooth and nail as soon as it ever comes by thy hands as if it were scarce possible to open it with sufficient speed when a messenger returns do not hastily rise up and run towards him as if thou couldst not hear what he had to say time enough and if any one makes an offer to tell thee something that is new say that thou hast rather it were good and useful when at a public dissertation i sometime made at rome rusticus who afterwards perished by the mere envy of domitian was one of my auditors a messenger come suddenly in with an express from caesar upon which when i offered to be silent till he had perused the paper he desired me to proceed nor would so much as look into it till the discourse was ended and the audience dismissed all that were present much admiring the gravity of the man in great persons whose power encourages them to greater licentiousness this vicious curiosity is hardly curable for when it is arrived in them to the consistence of an inveterate habit they will never undergo those previous restraints upon their outward actions which are necessary to destroy the evil habit within them for such as are thus inured will be breaking up other men's letters intruding upon the privacies of their friends making bold inquiries into the unfathomable mysteries of religion profaning sacred places and holy offices by their coming where and doing what they ought not and even prying into the most secret acts and discourses of princes all or any of which odious practices it will be hard for any one after long custom to forbear but especially for great persons and indeed princes themselves who are concerned to have as particular knowledge of all things as they can and to whom it is in some sort 
necessary for the ends of government to maintain spies and intelligencers about them are usually hated for nothing more than their retaining this lewd sort of people in quality of eavesdroppers of state and public informers the first that employed this kind of officers was darius in his younger years when he could not confide in himself nor durst trust any one else the sicilian tyrants afterwards planted them in syracuse but upon a revolution that happened there the people first fell upon these informers and destroyed them without mercy of near infinity with these are common accusers which from a particular occasion imported in the word were called syncophants fig blabbers because upon the prohibited exportation of that fruit they became informers against those that broke this order much the like sort of people were those in athens when a dearth of grain happened and the corn sellers were commanded to bring out their stores for public sale and those that went about listening at the mills and prying into granaries that they might find matter of information against offenders were thence called aletarians or if you please mill clackers which consideration superadded to the rest that has been said is enough to render this sort of malign curiosity extremely execrable and to be highly abhorred and most carefully avoided by every man who would desire for mere reputation's sake not to be ranked among the profligate crew of villains which are looked upon as the most detestable of all mankind end of section thirty two